0: the answer to this question. Oh, Sam, I can't help you.
1: What? What is it of and anyway? It, it's nothing unnatural, is it? Shh. Gentlemen, might I remind you that there be no cheating on this final exam? Or you shall not pass! Good morning, students.
0: Welcome to school. Remember, the thought of the day is it was disconcerting to see the sun arc in less than a minute.
1: To see a snail race
0: by, my flowers flinging wide their petals to embrace the new day, and the hours speeding across the face of my sun. All
1: right, welcome to Ecology 101, the state of the nerd and geek in the natural habitat. I'm Gary. It's Rudy. Stephen? Andy? Yep. John. John, oh, and not no. John Pepe, John Bennett. Welcome, guys, today. That's a new Thank one. You. We've had Angie, we've already read And we are Andrew. the knights who say... Nick. Nick. <laughs> Oops, he caught me. I didn't have my cup in front of me. Anyways, um, and by the way, Stephen, that's from, you're going to guess, Mighty Python. Yes. Yes, yeah, we just, we... we yes. uh I am familiar. Yes, I thought you would. <laughs> so, okay. Stephen sat in with us. We did a WandaVision recently, so he's kind of still hot on the... Podcast in here, so we let him. We didn't let him leave yet. So we're doing the Wanda thing on you, right? Can't leave yet. <laughs> You're a welcome guest. Um, hey, today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about. Um, they the, boy, the guys always joke around about my book. I really haven't done a, a piece on it yet, on chronology. So today, and Rudy was going to talk a little bit. I was going to let you, you want to ask some questions or something, but um, sure. I'm going to make you ask questions. There you go. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just kidding. But we're going to talk a little bit about that. And before, though, we start about chronology, I will tell you um, that one of the things I really enjoyed about this whole idea was, now I'm not an inventor myself. My grandpa was, okay? My grandpa was, his name is John Cabrero. He actually worked for American Steel. Was it U.S. Steel, I think it was? He had all these really great ideas, but he never did anything with them. And what happened was he um, he threw these ideas and other people took them. And he was one of those guys that history sort of like bypassed. And um, John, uh, Angie, we have our um, editing, uh, the by-the-hand editing, and John's been my editor to work with me. And I don't remember if I... Did I throw a character called... One, you have a grandpa in there. I did. There's another character. Oh, it's in the second book. Oh, it is in the second book. But I do kind of mention a character that kind of history overlooked, and that's supposed to be my grandpa.
0: Wait, there's a second book?
1: Yes, we'll get to that one, too. There's yes. going to be six altogether. Um, but this is sort of a, this was written as a honor to my grandpa, and also about people finding their place in history, because I love history as well. And a lot of times we forget that, uh, you know, he who does not learn from history, didn't repeat it. So, um, anyways, Rudy, so what did you want to ask? <laughs> this is a weird interview, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're asking the interviewer. <laughs> yeah, got it. go ahead. Hey,
1: we do, we do things a little bit different here, so that's okay. Well, Great Scott. How did you come up with the idea of chronology? Well, actually I took a class years ago and it was a writer's, it was basically build your writers. learn how to be a better writer, right? And I wrote this story out. I had nothing else to do. I had a very boring life And this is, I think, before I got married years ago. Not that I don't have an exciting life now. But the thing is, uh, I sat down and wrote this novel. And a lot of it was just a crazy idea that came in my head. And ended up being this huge, long story. But um, I love time travel. I love the whole concept of time. And I joke that my wife is really good with money. She's a very good money manager. And I think I'm a good time manager. I know it sounds like a, a value commodity, but I think it is. Because if you value your time, you get things done, right? So, and this whole story was about a boy. And in a lot of ways, I wish I was Levy Rourke. I wish I was the character. And he's he's a lot like me and all the stuff I went through as a kid and all the issues that happened in my parents and a lot of unfair things happen. But you wish you could change history. And that's kind of where it all started from. Something mm-hmm. like that, too. So,
0: I know there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's there's not a there, there's a lot of time travel material out there that's yeah. already been written. How how did how did you go about in wanting to make this different than any other time travel? I mean, because we you know we all talked about Bill and Ted's and yes and Back, uh, to, and back <laughs> to the Future and, and how accurate that is. Yeah, yes. and you know uh, what is it Doctor Who and right yeah. So so how did you, how what are things that you want uh, to make of that different than, you know, just being a typical time travel story?
1: Well, part of it is I think I really wanted to focus on, you know, they talk about good characters, right? That real that you could really connect with. So I really wanted to have, uh, you know, give give a some story where he really had a lot of issues, and he had a, he struggled with his faith, right? Because he couldn't believe that God would allow all these things to happen to his family because. Pretty much, he he says his family has the worst luck there is, and so everything that could go wrong goes wrong, and so I think I wanted to come at it where history was in jeopardy, and and this unlikely hero would be someone, and all his things go wrong actually help, you know, mm-hmm. and I and I wanted to have that where, um, and and I love history, like you know, um, you guys have all seen uh. Uh, night to Museum, the second one, right? Remember that one? Yeah, I get them all confused. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're all about museums. Yes, they all take place at night. <laughs> this had a lot of characters like from history. Like, what if they met? Right? Like the hero, was, like the pharaoh, was saying. Darth Vader walks up. He goes, "What is this look?" He goes, "He goes, the asthmatic with the cape, the going to the dr- what are we going for here?" You know, um, and it's just funny. And they keep joking that he was wearing a dress. He goes, "No, it's a tunic."
2: I love so, the one you all I ask is your allegiance, and in return, I offer you
3: the
0: world. Literally. Are there any questions? Yeah, I got one. How come
1: you're wearing a dress? This is not a dress. This is a tunic. Yes, you know. And I always thought it'd be kind of fun. What if certain historical people met? What would they talk about? What would happen? And so in this book you do, um, John, you remember who... It's not just
3: like historical figures. It's also them as kids, which I think is really cool.
1: yeah. Oh, it's fun. Did you enjoy that part, too, when they were, what if, right, when they started? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, like, with the time travel stuff, it's always, you know, as adults, and you're trying to stop something that happens
1: as adults. And then the concept of uh, how can you change things by starting with them as kids. Yes. I think it was, it was a really cool twist on that. Oh, and the idea, too, is that, you know, child children are impressionable. And one of the things that kind of, here's what's fun about this book, is it started off as a real... It's gone through a lot of hoops. It's gone through a lot of layers to get to where it is. And you guys are sort of my final, you know, trying to get the elements right. And when you write a book, we're talking about this team about mm-hmm. the right elements of a character or story. It takes time to do huh, time, obviously, to do it right. And to the write a book is, about time, that, takes right, time. Exactly. And the thing is, it's 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 there's percolation. There's taking time. There's listening to people. Right. Taking advice from people. Um, and everyone's had a great part in this too. Uh, that, I know I'm losing my train of thought real quick, <laughs> but uh, yeah, wow, there goes my there goes the there goes the idea of top men the, um, it. But there goes folks. I know. i was glad I did this before I turned 70. Anyways, um, <laughs> but but uh, but oh, taking things from the past and oh, trauma. We were talking about trauma earlier. When children go through, I think they said when they're in there because Levy is 12, turning 13. That is it. The, they call it the impressionable age, where what it's things that happen in that age can stick with you, that can change your rest of your life. And so, Mister Cross, who is the, you know, the time traveler extraordinaire in this book, he knows this, and he has this plan to paint a picture, perfect uh, picture of the future. He literally is actually painting the picture. He does that too. But the idea is that if he can catch people at the earliest stage, or uh, that that crisis in their life, maybe he can turn things in a positive direction, right, like a Hitler or something, right, and and steer the course of the future a little different, but it's very subtle. And he's got this whole plan, which, by the way, John, we will hear the whole plan at some point, maybe later in another book. I think it's going to come out, yeah.
0: Um, it, it never fails, uh, fares well when someone says, oh, we can do it, you know, like Hitler. <laughs>
1: Change Hitler. <laughs> well, there's other people, too, in there, too, that, uh, you know, could have – they got the history bypassed. Because they didn't take those steps out. And they, he pushes those guys a little forward, too. And they weren't necessarily bad people. But, but then again, the point was, think about the Cory boom, um, ten booms, other heroes that became heroes because of Hitler. You take mm-hmm. him away, you change them, too. So it's really a very subtle art that changed history. Right?
0: Right. You know, there's that, that um, the question that they had in, uh, is it uh, Endgame? Where it's like, "Oh, we can just, uh, you know, travel back to baby Thanos and kill him." You know? <laughs> yeah. And that was that whole, you know, oh, if you can, tra- if you can travel back and, and baby find Hitler. baby Hitler, you know, will you?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, War Machine. <laughs> right? Yes. So, but you know, you know is that? Our and the thing is too, we often look at unfair things and think that should change, but don't we change as people and grow through unfair things? So, or things that shouldn't we we think are bad. But we don't see the bigger picture. And I think Levy's very myoptic where he goes, my family's going through stuff. My dad almost, and you don't realize, open that up a little bit bigger. And I think that's what happens in this series is he has a very, he has a hate relationship with time, even though he, and if at some point it turns where he begins to see history a whole lot different because he stopped looking at his own problems Mm -hmm. I begin to see the bigger problem too. Hmm. So that's where it's going to your second book
3: that uh, there's a lot of empathy for
1: the people in the what you call earth grind earth grind um, yes and yeah and I think that
3: that also we can to go beyond his own problems the myopia of like looking at yourself yeah and seeing that other people are suffering
1: right yeah and I think he he also yeah I think he he's learning to to yeah exactly well how many how many preteens think of other people right they're always about my problems my issues me 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 me, me, yeah and that's gets us in trouble and it's like you know open the world a little bit and seeing that uh you know where your life fits in that and i think too you know understanding that uh, history is made up of imperfect people and all their stories but you know he does find out that there is someone writing this history it's not in our hands so everyone's learning a little bit about you know their place in history too and we're right where we need to be all right ladies and gentlemen we've been to the past we've been to the future we've been all around the afterlife and you know
0: ted the best place to be
1: is here the best time to be is now I wish I was a knight You know what I mean I wish I was But then you got the plague And the bluebonic stuff At the same time You know And I'm like uh
0: That's what you wanted to pick Was a knight A knight Of it, all the things
1: Because
2: Yeah Most <laughs> no. of them
1: died <laughs> Yeah I know <laughs> But they were heroic And they saved people And they were the knight And you know White horse kind of stuff Too you know And Man. the chivalry yeah,
2: but- Monty Python
1: night. I know. Yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, he time wants to be a problem. night. He wants to be a night. He'll end
0: up being Sir Robin.
1: So, oh, gosh. Thanks. Yeah, he bravely <laughs> ran away. Thanks. I Thanks for the pro-accomment. <laughs> well, do you guys have a time history that you wish you were born in, if you could change it? Um, I, I was always,
0: uh, um, I, I love like 1920s music. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, I, I played uh, jazz music growing up. Wow. So I I I listen to that a lot, and I kind of get even. I still I, I still listen to it, and every and every time I do, I kind of know travel back to kind of that time i think of, like christopher uh, Reeve <laughs> did yeah i think of anything it'd probably be in, in that era even though you know you have like the great depression in that area and era and then world war one and right. you know it, it's always the it's the it's the uh the grand nostalgia part of that world and not not the troubles of that part right. of that world you've seen yeah. the best
1: of it yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. why i said the night i said the shiny not the the muddy. Mm-hmm. And there, the, what do you mean? <laughs> There'd what be times think? in history I'd want to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> so you're you're I Just watch it. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I, I, I like modern plumbing and <laughs> Yeah. I like not having to catch the bubonic plague. It's always good. Yeah. <laughs> not oh, we'll that there catch, aren't mm, there are I things that we can't all catch. All the women
0: dying at childbirth. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: That's true. Angie, do you have a time period that you Oh yes. Would you go back or would you I thought
2: growing up in the eighties eighties was great. Uh I know. I don't think I would change that yeah I mean modern medicine who wants to have a leg injury and have it cut off with no right. you know anesthesia or it's a finger like out. oh the
1: whole hand's get. to come and me I wouldn't have
2: survived more than 10 years back
0: then Right. so oh. I would stick with the 80s
2: growing up then Nice. You. See, and you
0: can <laughs> and you can always find the negative in, and always times like when I think in 1980s i like oh you mean the rise of crack
1: <laughs> right <laughs> exactly it is location 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 <laughs> yeah. when it comes to trying travel. Right. John do you but, a, you know yeah. the best Best movie of music ever. Flock of seagulls, there you go. Yeah, um, well, you know, I, I, I was expecting you all to play a little bit like going into different time periods, not being so intelligent
2: with it <laughs> and just going with your gut and emotions. Right. I was thinking like, Greco Roman history nice. and going off of that. Yeah. there sort were of some semi like, civilization,
1: they had sort of toilets then. That's know, true. It wasn't quite the same. Right. Um, but of course, you'd have to be
3: somebody, a
1: wealthy landowner in order to really have a lot Yep. That's right. A surfer dude that made a whole different yeah. thing back then. So there you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a, you, you, you're right. And you, I think about that too. Like we talk about the, even the, uh, is it the Spanish flu? Um, yeah. hundred years ago. Yeah. hundred years ago. Think about it. If COVID came at a good time, we had so much technology. So it's kind of like a, you know, there's things, not that we loved it, you know, but we're getting through it. But the thing is, um, yeah, there's a lot of good advances that, uh, we wouldn't have and that's that's another oh gosh that's another funny thing too is uh, my character loves technology I mean just drools over it right so that's sort of his uh, he he jokes that's how the, that's how a Jedi turns to a Sith right he knows that too so there's a lot of fun Star Wars references in there too um, but that actually is But that involved fire What's that? I thought that involved fire or lava.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, it, yeah. Inv- it involves high ground. Uh, <laughs> yes. High ground.
1: And, um, but everybody has their battles and their struggles. And and uh, now John does know this, but I'm actually working on a third book now where there is a – he loves his technology. And because this future world you saw in the second one, there is a whole war between – what do they call them? I can't remember uh, the human, it's a human-averse or so. There's people who say people need to go back to being humans, not use technology, and other ones go the other Luddites. way. Luddites. What is it? Luddite. Oh, Luddites. sound like that too, yeah. And the thing is, um, and you wonder, you know, does it take away from us being human by relying on technology too much? So there's a whole battle, and that, that leads into some other larger issues uh, that people uh, will be willing to fight for, you know? So and our character is not always on the good side in, in the future so we'll see yeah, yeah so ca- things can change and maybe for the good you know so
0: you you were saying that uh the your life and and your family life and uh and the main character's uh, uh family life are kind of similar did mm.
1: you did you mean to play close to the hip on that uh-huh. I think I I, I have no problem sharing about struggles I go through because that's how people know you're real. And the thing is building good characters. Um, One of the things that's what I love to do, and this is not nothing I plan, sometimes God will have me read something. Like I was reading a National Geographic backer from 1962. Okay. And I'm going through it going, and I'm reading this thing about... um, Oh, Atlantic, the Atlantic had these huge storms in 1961, I think it was, kind of wiped out so much stuff. And the, the, this has a point, trust me, because I just closed close my eyes for it. So they had their, the Army Corps of Engineers, they had all these guys who were experimenting with all kinds of like uh, ways to to alleviate water. It was pretty amazing. Just these guys putting their brain to work on all these crazy things in design. And so stuff like that, that reality things, really, like we're talking about, mm-hmm. Michael Crichton's good at that, right? Just kind of connecting to real life. And I think when it comes to characters, sci-fi, uh, and of course, you've read H.G. Wells and a bunch of other ones um, that are John Carter, right? They really get into uh, good characters that are believable. They're not plastic. They are they have depth in them. And that's really what I want to go with Levy work is – you know, you could relate with him. You could understand him. You could go through that. And the thing is, um, yeah, I've had a, a rough childhood, and I've doubted my faith and all these things he's gone through. But, and and also the biggest thing he learned is, uh, and I didn't want this to be a, a preachy book. I want this to be a book where you could see science and faith working together. You could see faith in every day application. That happens. It does happen. <laughs> what and uh, and it sometimes happens in the uh, worst situations you can imagine, right? I'm a child of a divorced family. Levy's parents are divorced. They're actually pretty good, but um, you know, losing family members, unfair things happen constantly, and you go, "What the heck?" And I do, I do joke around that if there was bad luck, I probably do have it. I don't believe in it, but I believe that stuff happens to you, but it helps you grow. So. It, I relate with him, and I mean, I will tell you, and this has made me think I'm crazy, but um, I get emotional over some of these things to this character. And one of the things I want to put, and I haven't, okay, so John, I, I, um, so he and I get the secret code keys, he knows where it's going. But one of the things I want to put into the book, because there's six books all together, it's called A Hexatron, okay? Nothing to relate with WandaVision, but it's hexa, you know, it's six. And it ties back into this. What well, is the
0: strongest nat- uh, natural shape?
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's why you know Ooh, why I'm writing that down. <laughs> honey,
0: honey, honeycombs have that uh, have that structure because it's the strongest known geometric shape.
1: Okay. You know what? You just helped me with another part. See, that's that's the jewels right there, right? Um, because this group is it called the. It is. It's the number of like humans. Yep. You don't want do you you don't, want, you don't, want, you don't okay. triple that? That's not a good number. But you know. Um <laughs> But a team. A team working together. So the A six or anac- anachronistic six that they stand for, this is a team that's behind the scenes and they're kinda like tie the story all mm-hmm. together. So, um where's my point with this? Oh, uh so uh I lost my th-
0: You'll find it. I'll
1: find it. Yes. <laughs> um but the thing is it's tying uh, tying things together that go with Man, that <laughs> was a like, good point too. Anyways, um, uh, it, it's it's a it's a learning lesson. So I keep the flubs in here. I don't care. But the thing is, um, yeah, I man, was a really good one too. <laughs> good. So six Hexatron. Let me back up. Six hexatron. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, I got it. So there's the first two books were a couplet. I actually split them because they're really long, and that's I like got two books. The next three are our trilogy. And so it's a time travel, it's a time war trilogy. So, um, and each of the books, it's kind of fun because I want to mix two genres. So I want to mix the old west because time travel is like the new frontier and time travel. So uh, the first book is uh, A Fistful of Crontons. I actually did watch the movie after the fact, Fistful of Dollars, I'm like, there's a lot of little- Not A Fistful of Datas. (laughs) that's a good idea. Yes, a second one is, is how the West was warped. And I just watched that movie, How the West Was Won. It's actually pretty good. Very, very. Old westerns are good. They're good. And I'm like, it, it's kind of funny how they fit. And then the and third one's the good, the odd, and the ugly. So, in it, but there's other. And the last one, there's some. They're, they're kind of fun. And it just gives you some direction around. But it's fun. Um, so. Can ask you a
3: question, Yeah, go Yeah, yeah, please. I'm just happy. Do you have a fascination with.
1: With Annie Oakley. Oh, you. Uh, you know what? I will tell you. I really like. It's so funny. I like those warrior women kind of thing, right? The elves and things like yeah. that. Just like they're kind of like, wow. You know, like they're pretty amazing. Of arts. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the thing is, um, I'm blessed with a strong woman, my wife. My my wife. She's very quiet, but she's very. You know, I'm more the emotional one in the family. That's just
0: husband points.
1: I know. <laughs> She's not listening. She yeah. she left somewhere. Anyway, your podcast. She, she doesn't. The she doesn't listen to this show. <laughs> no, she doesn't. <laughs> she know. She knows about it though. Now um, he's got my daughter involved, so that's fine. But um, Annie Oakley, I did read some really neat things about her life. Uh, and, and by the way, she will pop up. Uh, John, I'll tell you. Uh, don't tell anybody. One of the characters does actually meet her, but it's not Levy. <laughs> so, um, oh, no. Yes. That's Levy's love
3: interest.
1: And I don't think they're ever going to meet. It's just two people that if they were to meet, they would change the course history, and they're not meant to, right? So there's kind of unrequited love there. Um, Annie Oakley, yeah, he, what he loves about her is the fact that she is focused, determined. She's got a plan. She's been through a lot of stuff. She, all the things he wishes he could do, like take the tra- trauma and turn it into something – he he just sees that in her show. So they they actually talk to each other. Oh okay, yeah, I'm gonna. Throw, so he meets. Uh, okay, tell them who they meet. By the way, he meets the childhood version of John. You remember? Oh okay, so he meets can I list all of them. It's not gonna be. Each yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah. You know, sir. Awesome. So he meets the
3: childhood or child um, versions of Martin Luther King Jr.,
1: Thomas Edison, and then Albert Einstein. Right. As well as through the wall. And they talk through Morse code. That's how they become friends. So yeah, and that's a really cool
3: thing because Morse code is like sort of technologically driven, but it's
1: not really because it's just you know pounding on something. Yeah, um, as a means of communication, kind of counter iPhone. Right, and what's funny is she lives in the age of technology because she lives during the Industrial Revolution. So to her, that's a big thing, right? That's the world is changing around them. So they have that in common that. They love technology from above, from a different time period, right? So it's crazy, and that that the 1800s will come into play too, in the other books too. So, um, yeah, so it's been fun, and I just, uh, again, working on those. Um, it's been a lot of fun series to do. Um, we do talk a lot about nerds and geeks, which tie into this podcast. That's where we're talking about it, and I guess the challenge is every underdog has their day, right? And will we listen to destiny, or will we let f- f- fear keep us from you know taking on our faith? So that's kind of where you know it's been it's been a fun series, and I encourage anybody who's writing a book. You now John says writing a book, Angie works on books all the time. I don't know if my, you work on scripts, Stephen. That's awesome. But to do that, keep up with your work, keep doing that. And I think if anything, I, I want to do this because I want to encourage people that they got a story to tell to tell it because history is full of all kinds of stories, right, and struggles and all. So that's kind of where we're going at. And now to kind of tie kind of tile it up, do you have any other questions about it? Because we're going to talk about where – Yeah, you can move on. Well, we're talking about self-publishing. There's so many ways that you can get your book out there that weren't there five years ago. Hmm. And Angie, I know one of the things that John talked to you about was do you know, self-publishing or traditional publishing. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about why you chose self-publishing yourself. Well, you thought that was a great route.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, we have, I mean, so many avenues open to us that we didn't back in the 90s, let's say, because in the early 2000s, you started to see the uh, beginnings of what are called vanity presses. And that's where you pay somebody to publish your book. Right. And then, so they would take like $5,000 of your money and then take a bit of royalties. And this was the way to try to get people who really wanted to publish as a publisher, but they weren't being accepted by a publisher. Right. So uh, these vanity presses went on for well, they're still out there today. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and they really don't do anything for you. Right. You know, yep. um, they they basically just they have you edit your book. Um, maybe they will offer editing. Um, they offer uh, tell you that they're going to market your book, and they never do. You do it yourself, and <laughs> then it all tr- you do it yourself. Yeah. So, and then you're giving them part of your. Uh, Royalties on top of what you've paid them to put out your book. So this is like like the beginning of self-publishing, you know. Right. (laughs) This is where it was like, okay, people really want to publish, but they can't seem to land an agent or a publishing company. Right. And um, so from there, it kind of went to self-publishing. You Mm. know that that started up. You know, pretty early on. Yeah. Um, I signed with a uh, with a pub, small pub company back in 2003, 2004, yeah. and was for my first book, False Security. And I hated every minute of it. Uh, I had no control. Yeah. I didn't like the cover. I didn't like the way that they formatted it. Uh, they didn't give me much marketing, which is what publishers do. They don't give you a lot of marketing unless you're the next Stephen King or yeah. you already have a big name yep. attached to you. Yeah. Uh, so it just wasn't the experience that I wanted. So I was writing my second book, Conduit, and I kind of put it off for a little bit to write or to work and you know, do some other things. I was working like twelve hour days, five days a week and then sometimes weekends. So I didn't really have a had a chance. And in two thousand twelve or two thousand thirteen I decided, you know, I'm gonna rewrite False Security. The rights had reverted back to me. I was like, you know, I'm gonna rewrite that while I'm working on Conduit. And then I'm just going to put call security out there by myself, just self-publish it and see what happens.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, I I did. I got a new cover. I was happy with it. I got some guys to format it. I was not happy with the formatting, so I went in and taught myself how to format (laughs) so I could format my own books. Um, and I put it out there, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, everybody's going to buy this book." Uh, Four sales later, (laughs) I published Conduit. So I published False Security the second time in September of 2013, and I published Conduit in uh, March of 2014. And, you know, I had all of, like, four sales for False Security during that time, but something happened with Conduit, and it was because I had been going in and networking with other authors and stuff, and people just started buying the book. Yeah. And then more people bought the book and then more reviews came and then before I know it I was at the top of the Amazon list out selling Stephen King a few times Wow so it was like this huge boom you know like oh my gosh so see what I can do when I'm spending 80 hours a day
1: <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs> more marketing my my stuff you know right um, and I learned how learned how to do all that learned how to uh, uh, not manipulate the system but work the system yeah. as it is created um, and it's it's difficult. It's still difficult today, sure. you know, just because you have a book with a lot of sales and you know, that, that best-selling, award winning title, it doesn't mean your next book's going to sell great. You yeah. know, yeah. you still have to put in the marketing and you still have to put in the work. So, yeah. you know, self-publishing is for those who would rather risk it themselves. Um, trying to land an agent, a publisher. I mean, it, it, it's a good way to go. Um, you have to understand that a lot of people get 100 rejection letters before they sure. get an acceptance from an yep, agent. Yep. And then once they get accepted by an agent, that agent then has to find a publisher for you. So we're talking years down the road.
1: Right. Yep. Once
2: it hits the publisher, it's going to take at least a year or two for them to put it out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and they're going to take some of your royalties, your agent's going to take some of your royalties, and they're probably not going to market it all for you Right. because you're not a bigger name. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I choose to keep going with self-publishing just because I really enjoy it. I love control. Yeah. I love when I'm done writing, I could send it to my editor, bring it back, reread it, rewrite it, send it back to her, get it back, and then say, okay, I'm going to go publish today. Yeah. You know, I don't have to wait for for the publisher to do it for me. Right. And I keep all my royalties, which That's is right. great too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, That's awesome. And I really thing about
2: self-publishing though, you just got to keep working at it. You've got to really work the marketing and try to figure out how am I going to get to that next step? How am I going to get people to notice my next book? That's right. You know?
1: Yeah.
2: So there's, wow. How many 60, 30, 40,000 books being published every day.
1: Yeah, exactly. And making yours unique. And the fact that getting the book done is half the battle and then it's the other half. Right. So, and, um, I love it. Oh, the yeah. Th- yeah. And you guys have a neat network because when I did Chronolosity, we have Steven Novak. And I don't know if he, that's, John found him or he found him, but great deal on a cover. I mean, it was so well done. And uh, definitely use him. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, of course, you guys have your by-the-hand editing. Here's a nice little segue. And that's been a great, because I know <laughs> I've had to um, pay for editing before, and it's really expensive. And a lot of things are really expensive. So it's, it's doable. I mean, it's doable. And then with KDP... Basically, you put your book out there, but they take a percentage. That's all it is. So you don't have to put any money up front. So you can get your stuff out there right away. So it's great. I love it. Um, exactly. Yeah. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about your so
2: – I, I just looked it up. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just looked it up. There's approximately 2.2 million books that are published each year, which is about 6,100 books a day.
1: Wow. That's so it.
2: you're competing <laughs> with all of those books. Right.
1: And there's oh all – Yeah. I'm thankful that, you know, and with marketing, there's lots of things like, you know, we have fun making commercials or whatever or different outlets and everyone has a different route and in some with some things work for some people and some don't, you know, some people just, they land it. They just like, it's, it's perfect timing, you know, literally, so. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I've really, I will tell you, um, I've really enjoyed working with you guys with editing. Uh, this has been it's been awesome. I was blessed before with having an editor. She was very new at it, but I got the idea. It worked, and it was neat getting uh getting to connect with you guys. And um, John, I know you got to work on my book. And I, any thoughts you guys have? I just share a little bit why you guys started it, and and where you're going, yeah. and any thoughts you have.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, and if I can start, then you can pick up all the pieces that I've (laughs) left behind. Um, (laughs) Gary, like, for one, um, it's been a joy uh, reading your book because I think for me as an author and an editor, it's also a selfish endeavor because I get to read really good writing Mm -hmm. often. Um, And your book is one of the ones that I've edited where I'm like, I really enjoy reading this book. And it actually makes editing hard sometimes because you're so caught up in the (laughs) stories that you're like, wait, I'm I'm supposed to be editing this (laughs) as I'm going along. Uh, But... I think for one of when Angie um, came to me and said, "Hey, we're thinking about starting this uh, editing company." Yeah. Um, I think we both wanted to set forth a mission where we wanted to, like as our hand, as our um, t- name says, help people by the hand um, who need help with their editing, and we don't want them to be exploited. You know, like you see the vanity presses, you see editors who uh, take advantage of people; they charge tons of money, but don't actually really do a good job editing. And so we wanted to be a, a chance for people to get their stories out and to polish it for them so that they can be proud of these stories that they've crafted.
2: I stopped.
0: No change. Everything exactly as it had been before. But no, the clock said 6.31 when I started, and now it was Eight oh nine,
1: and the candle shorter by inches. It's good to hear that uh, people they invest in what you're doing. That's what you guys do. You ask good questions. You point out things that you need. It's just have it's a conversation, and I really believe that writing and editing are two parts of the whole story. Without one, you can't do the other. So the thing is, uh, yes. it's it's great. So thank you.
3: Yeah. and I'm an, and I'm an English teacher, and I'm writing novels. But you know, when I have people edit it, they find mistakes oh, where sure. <laughs> you know, so instead of saying to, yes. the, to the store, I write the, the store. You know, oh yeah, like, we all make these mistakes, and it, it always helps to have another set of eyes. Yeah, um, to That's help. It.
2: Oh yeah, and like when I when I get my books edited, I have my own editor that I go to, C.J. Penard. I know that sounds weird. I don't go directly to my editor. <laughs> I've been using her forever. Right. So I use her, and then I also send it to John and usually Melanie on our team, Melanie uh, Rouse on our team, because we have two Melanies. Um, But it's so funny that you mentioned that um, that, uh, the last last story that I wrote, CJ was was editing it, and she put a note there. I had written, kick him in the chin, and I meant chin. And I saw that, and I just wanted to scream. I was just like, so I put on Facebook, I said a shin is not a chin, a shin is not a chin, a shin is not a chin. But it's more violent. You know? My word.
1: Um, One hurts more word. than the <laughs> <yellow>. other. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah, I know. I think they have
0: the same the level of pain. Skin, but, you know, <laughs> right.
2: Um, so it always reminds me of this uh, story that I heard about Stephen King, and I, I think it was in his book on writing, which – I highly recommend that every single writer, no matter what genre you are reading, you've got to stop now, go pick up a, a, a copy of On Writing by Stephen King. And you're going to find out, number one, you're not as crazy as you think you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because everything things that he does that I always thought I was crazy for doing this, I was like, oh my gosh, well, if Stephen King does it, it's okay that I do it <laughs> <then."> <laughs>
1: Right. Because <laughs> I approve.
2: So one of the things that I... Learned from him is that everybody makes mistakes, yeah. and in his book Salem's Lot, um, it was the start of peasant season, mm. but he left out the H. Oh. when he said it to his editor, <laughs> so it was the start of peasant season.
1: Yeah, peasant <laughs> under glass <laughs> does not sound it <laughs> at all. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> It just makes me
2: laugh because it, it makes me realize that every one of us writers are human. Oh yes. And the thing that I always tell new, new authors or starting out authors is, we have all started at the very beginning. Yes. We've all started our journey after word go. Yeah. We didn't know what we were doing, all we knew was that we had a story and we thought we wanted to tell it. Right. Maybe we were advert readers, maybe we were an English teacher, maybe we're a junkie of time travel, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It doesn't matter. You have a story, you want to put it down, and you want to somehow get it out into the world. Right. And that's the hard part. Like the easy part is writing the book. Gary, I'm sure you agree with that by now. <laughs> right.
1: Get out of your head.
2: <laughs> yeah, writing is so easy. It's everything that comes after writing.
1: Yes, <laughs> oh, wait. exactly.
2: you has to go to an editor, mm-hmm. and they're going to rip it to shreds with right. all the red ink. Yep. And yes, we still use red ink on track changes today. They do. Um, I've seen that. <laughs> you know then you've got to figure out what kind of cover you want and then right. you've got to figure out your blurb which is the blurb is arguably the hardest thing to do oh by the way we'll add it uh, to my feed too has it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Thank besides you. the query letter so uh, the blurb is basically for those who don't know it's what's on the back of your book yep. when you pick up the book on the bookshelf you look at the back of the book or inside the jacket cover and you read what the book is about yes. that is the blurb two to three paragraphs very minimal and you have to entice the reader. And then you have the query letter, which Gary has the privilege of writing one which I might help. Yes. And um, those are very complicated too. Those they're specifically yeah. designed to go out to agents to see if an agent wants you. Right. And then you have the what's called the synopsis, which is one to three pages depending on which publisher or oh, agent you're sending they all want your different work to because it, yep. it changes of mm-hmm. what they want. So right. There's a lot that goes into it. And sure. if you decide to publish it on your own, great. You get your editor, you figure out your cover, you write your blurb, mm-hmm. you put it out into the world. But then you don't do what I did with false security the second time around. Just let it sit there yes. there's somebody purchased um, your book, you know? Right,
1: right. You have to
2: actually market. You have to network with other authors. You have to meet new readers. Yep. And arguably, That's one of my favorite things about being an indie author. When you're famous, like Stephen King and stuff, you can't talk to your readers. Mm. I have so many long-lasting friendships that have been created because I'm an indie author. People that I have met who started out as a reader of mine contacted me. We started talking and we've been talking for six years now. That's awesome. And we have a group actually, myself and my best friend Marissa, who lives on my property, um her and I are both writers and, awesome. her and her sister just wrote her first book with her sister, which is an amazing book about the Holocaust called Remember the Stars. I'm going to wow. plug it real quick. It's yeah. so good. Um, so we're writers, the three of us. And then the other people in our group, Sarah, LaDonna, Sharon, Anna, they are readers.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's awesome.
2: And drew met through our book. Yeah. And we have this really tight group of girls right now. And we've been talking for six, seven years now and, you know, we're planning a trip hopefully later this year that we can all meet because I've met all of them, but one person. And some of us haven't met any of the others, you know? Right. Right. So you, you get these strong relationships. You get, you get to find out what your readers are all about. And it's being able to connect with your readers. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You are better able to craft your next story. Right. You know, you're better able to, to go down that road. And what happened with false security is that I left it kind of an open ending. Hmm. And I always intended it to leave it like that. Yeah. Because I wanted the reader to decide what was going to happen next. I was like, it was kind of a satisfying ending, but it could have gone either way after the end. Could have gone really bad, could have gone really good. Right. And what I found through networking with all of these readers and writing Conduit and then writing The Boys Club yeah. is that they were bugging the hell out of me. to Get, a second get time
1: done. False right. That's good. Yeah.
2: So Seven, yeah, seven years after it was written, I finally gave in to my readers.
1: Good job.
2: And, you know, one one reader, she, Sharon in particular, she's in our group, uh, she kept saying, I need you to bring back this character. And I'm like, look, that character's dead. You know, going into the book... Called Didn't Security, you read Misery? They, that's how the whole are, problem
1: started. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know he's dead. That's oh, <laughs> yeah. when you don't want to meet your fans. You need them before you meet <laughs> <need him>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She said, no, you have to bring him back. Make it a soap opera where he didn't really die. Oh, my <laughs> like, gosh. <"No>, I <laughs> to this day, no. she still bugs me yep. about this character. Published false security in 2013. It is 2021. I still get nasty messages from people and from her.
1: Yeah, that's not me yeah, bugging about so Chrysalis or nothing, too, right? Same thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> What's uh, happen yeah. Well, Christmas, yeah, it was open ended there, but it kind of—it was satisfying. Yeah, that it was. was point, it was. Do you think good. it was satisfying? Um, and I won't say what happened, of course, because it's a de- it's a big giveaway, right? Um, but yeah, it could go either way. Yeah. it could go really good yeah. from there, or it could go really bad. Yeah. And yeah. I will revisit that story. Sure. But um, I have to finish writing. well, I'm writing something right now. Gotcha. For a. Uh, sequel for my last book, and then I have got a sequel for The Dark, um, I'm sorry, Conduit, which is my second book, right. and I've kind of done to my readers what I did in False Security. It is now seven years in March that I published Conduit, and I still haven't given them a sequel. Ah. Uh, <laughs> it's still so bad. That's who's knocking at your door I right do now. <laughs> all the time. Right?
1: Rudy, we can jump in there?
0: Oh. No, when we were talking about the uh, like the soap opera kind of storyline, it's like, you could always go with yeah. the evil twin brother. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> evil
1: twin. That's right, Dad. Pull well, that, that one out.
2: that character, funny you say that, because that character's brother actually makes the appearance in False Hope. Nice. <laughs> so See? He's a they got an eye patch and everything. So yeah. I a little goatee. Yeah. with his brother.
1: <laughs> right? There you go. That's awesome. That's awesome. And there you Yeah, go. so yeah. that was
2: a long way to say that I really love being an indie author. I, I love everything about it. Yeah, I love the connection you can have with readers. Um, mm-hmm. John Bennett, you've done a couple of little book signings at the, the library through um, mm-hmm. the San Bernardino Writers Group, but now you're, you've moved away, so you, you don't have any right now. Um, Gary, maybe you'll get a chance to do a book signing or something. That's what we're um, shooting for, Yet, What I found, yeah, oh, I what one. I found so I at the house, right? I did at the house, yeah.
1: Book yeah. signing. Yes. Oh, I did have one at the house. Is it I did have one during. I did it during COVID. Okay, go and rat on me. But it was really oh, good. Oh, you did? I did. Um, yeah, I did a book signing and you coughed good. on each one. It was uh-huh. great. Ah, yeah. yeah. So I helped that, for
0: for three dollars. extra. For three dollars yes. extra. Yeah.
1: No, it was good. Everyone came. It was. But yeah, we did. That. I think <laughs> they did it in February. Feb- no, it is February. I did it in um oh, November. I- we're in, March. in November, Last past, November. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But it went really good. It was really neat to talk to people. And I had a um, a boy, affect. uh I'm sorry, I cut in your story, but um, a guy graduated from college with, he just popped up and goes, you remember me from college? I'm like, yeah. He goes, here's my son. He wants to talk to you about book writing. I'm like, oh, okay. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really great. So. Oh,
2: wow. Very
1: fun. But yeah, we'll you do more what? of those. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it's so great to be able to meet those readers firsthand. Yes. But not only that, you get to meet other authors. Yeah. So, like, I do, um, I have five book signings this year. Uh, my first one's in Lawrence, Kansas. And then I have New Orleans, Orlando, wow. Louisville, Kentucky, at, a, at a, an asylum that's haunted, supposedly. And then Mansfield Prison in Ohio that uh, is also supposedly haunted. Uh... Um, I'm very excited to have book signings again, because last year was kind of COVID year, and everything was canceled, Um, but I found myself that, like, last year, I almost was dying inside. I was like, no, i got to get in front of readers now. But being in front of a reader, meeting the authors next to you, and these book signings can have anywhere between 20 to 90 to 100 and some authors there at the event. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. So you're It's like a
2: Comic-Con convention. Yes. (laughs) But it's for for writing. Yeah. And that is like the best feeling in the world is to be standing right there with the reader in front of you, getting to meet someone new, getting to hear their story. And some of those friendships have continued past the book signing also. That's awesome. John, you've done book signings with me at San Bernardino. Did you also find that to be true? It was enjoyable to talk to the readers and stuff. Oh, yeah. It
3: was was awesome. And I, I think... One of the things that I really cherished was having authors kind of share like their own um, process and struggle and yeah. triumphs, and um, you're like cheering for everybody to get a book sold, <laughs> and people are cheering you on, and like pushing people your direction too. You know, like if you're not having the greatest day of sales, and so it's a really cool community
1: to be a part of. That's awesome. You was know, so funny when you guys are talking and going, oh, you hold they hold horror step in old houses." Like, yep, yeah, we went to the uh, Amityville and then to the Overlook. I can imagine you're
2: (laughs) –
1: the Overlook Hotel, right?
2: She called it shiny. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had the shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. Signed up a family in 2018. I'm sorry, 2019. (laughs) Uh, November of 2019. Right. Um, I stayed on the fourth floor where um, it's supposedly where all the children are, you know, haunting everything. Right. And, you know, I'm not a person who believes in ghosts, which makes it so much more fun to write about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I like can make what a, up whatever I want to about it. <laughs> um, but I heard some things. I did. Um, the, the, the family is where Stephen King stayed, and that's, he stayed in room 217, and he got his um, uh, inspiration for... The Shining. The ah, book, The Shining. Gotcha. And the original movie with Stanley Kubrick was not filmed at the Stanley, but oh. the mini series that came later with Stephen Weber Weber and Rebecca Dormit, uh Mornay, I'm butchering names today, that was filmed at the Stanley Hotel. So nice. there's a lot of cool artifacts there and yeah. information about that. Dumb and Dumber, they had some scenes filmed there, like where oh. they had the, the Lamborghini or whatever, and they're getting out and they're right. walking up the steps. That oh, was at the awesome. Stanley. <laughs> and the bar where he's waiting for the the girl, the FBI agent. He doesn't know that's her. No, sorry, he's waiting for uh, Mary to show up. Right. And the other lady comes in, and then he he leaves, and he he looks at the little newspaper clipping. We landed on the moon! (laughs) (laughs) That was filmed at the Stanley. That's awesome. And um, what's so cool about that, they actually have that newspaper clipping there. Oh, (laughs) very fun. you know, I'm going to go, I'm way off base now, but one of the cool things that we got to do at the Stanley, um, was, uh, meet a lot of different people. So I actually met a guy who writes for IGN, uh, video games. And you oh, guys wow, know yeah. I'm a massive gamer. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, he came to my table and I'm like, you do what? You do what? <laughs> like I was enamored yes. with him. Sure. He got to write for IGN. That's awesome. Um, but then after the book signing, and this was kind of like we could go do a whole thing about how to market your book, but um, towards the end of the book signing, it was a very long one. It was eight hours, and usually they're about four hours, but there was a mix-up with the time, and we ended up with the room for eight hours. So a lot of people left like two hours before it was finished because they just wanted to go out and do something. And me and a handful of people, we stayed, and we still signed books and met more people, and because there were less of us, we had a better chance of selling books. Yeah. But next door to us was a a psychic, you know, or a, a, you know, gypsy psychic or something. And she did something really crazy with her name between gypsy and psychic. And it it was just, like, it made my eyes roll Um, (laughs) because it was so obvious. Um, But there was a huge line waiting to get into her event. I mean, we're talking 40 people down the line. And I walked out and I all these people and as I'm packing up my table I'm thinking you know I've got this whole extra bit of books that I brought that I didn't sell and I'm going to have to pay $75 to get back home to take these so I picked out you know 30 books Hmm. and I just started finding them and I walked out to the line of people and I had five books in my hand and I was like walked up to somebody, would you like a free book? Oh, yeah, nice. They look at me, and they go, well, yeah. And then I walked up a few people behind them. I go, you want a book? Yeah, I do. People started turning around at that point. So I handed out my first five books, and I went back in the room, and I walked back out, and I had five word books in my hand, and people were starting to really notice me. Mm -hmm. And so I worked a little bit longer down the line, and I handed out the next five, and then I went back to the room. And when I came back, people started shouting, me, me, me. I uh, want a book yeah. with their arms raised.
1: Right, right.
2: And I was like, "This is so." So I gave away thirty books, and I figured that was fifty dollars worth of inventory to give them the night of their lives. You yeah. know, give them an experience that they hadn't done before to make me really happy having yeah. that experience, and I don't have to pay Southwest seventy five bucks to bring these books back.
1: Nice. And you might <laughs> so, have got a reader out of that. You know
2: things like that yeah with yeah. marketing you kind of have to think on your feet sometimes so i know i got really long-winded there but it was such a great experience you know yeah
1: well, you know we can do it. we got we gotta tie up but i'll tell you what maybe for your clubhouse we should talk about marketing
0: i'd love to know because i do have friends who've written books and they have had lots of them but they don't have like a pastor or someone written a fiction yeah. book they can't they don't have time because of their position mm. to really to really
1: publish that oh, would be great maybe that's our next thing to talk about yeah, yeah. they're Not good today. too oh, absolutely <laughs> and you yeah. know
2: I mentor authors all the time, so if you ever want to send one over to me with questions, that's totally fine. I am great. really glad yeah. to help out anybody yeah. that needs assistance.
1: We'll make sure and get your contact information. So, hey, um, I, 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 uh, I tie it up, but it is a time factor here. <laughs> so, and Rudy's getting a little. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's <laughs> no, it's awesome. great. It's awesome. And you know, this is what I was hoping we talk about. We just kind of the whole book thing, and maybe get people excited about getting their stories out there or making mm-hmm. connections and. And a little plug that we are going to be, you know, maybe coming up with some ideas where people can, can can sit in and talk and get that whole discussion. So we'll we'll get some things going. Maybe that clubhouse or something that would be awesome. So, but uh, thank you, thank you guys. And these guys are all across country, so thank you so much for being here with us today too. Awesome, yeah. nice. So yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you betcha. All right, <laughs> here's our. All right, so I'm still Gary. Still Rudy. Still Steven. I'm still Angie. Are you still John? I'm still John. Yes, John. Not, not, John Bennett. <laughs> right? And class is dismissed. Have a good one.
2: Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine?
1: Just an idea I had for a commercial for my upcoming book, Chronolosity Fistful of chronotons. Okay, explain. Well, my main character, Levy, invents a water-based time machine and is in a race against time to save his family. Hence, the hot tub.
3: So it's just the hot tub time? It's not
1: the hot tub time machine. All right, all right. Hot tub makes sense, I guess. But what's up with the series? Well... When I was writing the book, you guys kept saying "cronatons" sound like a breakfast cereal. <laughs>
3: it
0: does, actually. That's true.
1: So we're eating bowls full of chronotons in the hot tub with two. <laughs> that's the power of podcasting, Gary. Nobody can tell we're sitting in a hot tub eating a bowl of cereal.
0: All right, all right. So let's let's dry up and think of a decent commercial for Gary's book.
1: Right. Hey, uh, don't know if you're out there writing a book or have an idea for a book, but I'll tell you what, one of the things I found out with putting together uh, books I've been working on, of course, my friend John Pepe, uh, that an editor is huge. Uh, it's like having a co-author, actually, someone to really invest in your work and really gets you, uh, ask you those tough questions and really get your work ready for, well, maybe your self-publishing or going to a, um, a traditional publisher. Uh, check out By the Hand Editing. Uh, Angie Martin you've heard her on our show she's actually one of our hosts now has that uh, online which you can find on Facebook great Uh, we've really enjoyed getting to use uh, their service and I tell you what um, we're going to keep coming back because they have really, they're great people, they do a great service, and it's a great price. So I would encourage you, if you haven't got a chance to uh, check them out, uh, Buy the Hand Editing, that's Angie Martin, and they have some fantastic deals and prices for you that work with you and be able to help you get that book ready for wherever your journey takes you. So thank you so much for checking them out, and tell them Nickology the sent you. Thanks for listening to Necology101, the study of Nerd and Geek in their natural habitat. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all that's new in the Phantom Universe. You can find Necology 101 on Spotify, YouTube, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Love to hear from our fans, and your input helps make this show possible. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at and Geeks, or can contact us at Ecology101Class at gmail.com. We know we have a lot of Phantom choices out there, so thanks for letting us invade your Phantom universe. Because we are still the knights who say, "Meek."